0: You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hey,
1: good morning, y'all. Welcome to The Valley Labor Report my name is adam keller and this is shop talk our new thursday morning episode we're producing every week with a focus on labor education history and training it's thursday may 25th and we're broadcasting live from spice radio studio in the heart of the tennessee valley here in huntsville alabama every episode is live streamed on youtube and facebook and will be released on your favorite podcasting platform in the coming days and sorry about the uh, music intro. It was acting a little weird this morning, so wanted to cut that off before it uh, all irritated us. Today on the show, after a couple training episodes in a row, we are switching gears back to history. And I'm really excited about this conversation. I'll be joined by Ben Wilkins, the editor of Anne Braden Speaks. Just a reminder that the Valley Labor Report is a working-class media collective dedicated to lifting up labor struggles throughout Alabama and across the South. We bring you Alabama's only union talk radio show every Saturday morning with the first half from 9.30 to 11 a.m. live on FM radio through WVNN here in the Huntsville listening area. The entire program is online via Facebook, YouTube, and podcast and portions of the program are replayed on WZZA in the Shoals and WHIV out of New Orleans. We encourage you to check out our website, tvlr.fm, which we're currently expanding to feature published articles, including news and commentary relevant to working people. I just had an article out a couple nights ago about the latest development in the Bessemer Amazon campaign. The National Labor Relations Board has issued a complaint I actually issued multiple complaints against Amazon this week, including one in Bessemer. So check that out for the latest. And while you're there, check out our store, tvlr.fm/store. You can check out our merch. Uh, For those of you watching, I've got my new shirt on today, our Good Things Union shirt. Uh, We do have some of those in stock, so check that out. And finally, we rely on donations and sponsorships to put out all of this free content. We appreciate the local unions and organizations that have sponsored ads on our main Saturday show. Uh, We are still looking for sponsors for Overtime and Shop Talk. I'm excited that we do have Labor Notes on board as our first sponsor for Shop Talk, and uh, we really appreciate their support. Uh, But we are certainly interested in a couple more to sustain the series for the long haul. So beyond unions and allied organizations, other media outlets, union vendors and print shops, publishers, you know, anyone who might be interested in reaching an audience of union activists and allies, definitely reach out to us. Hit us up if you are interested in becoming a sponsor. And as much as we love and appreciate our sponsors, our single biggest source of contributions comes from listener donations. You can make a one-time donation or a recurring contribution at tvlr.fm donate. And we also have a Patreon if you prefer to pay that way. Uh, and we'll take a good old-fashioned check, mail to our PO box. Whether you donate, share, subscribe, or just listen, we really appreciate your support. And we can't do it without you. We put out all of this content for free because we are dedicated to growing the Southern labor movement. If you share this mission, please support however you can so we can have media by, for, and of the working class. And at the Valley Labor Report, we are big fans of Labor Notes. Labor Notes is a media and organizing project that since 1979 has been the voice of union activists who want to put the movement back in the labor movement. Through their magazine, website, books, conferences, and workshops, Labor Notes promotes organizing, aggressive strategies to fight concessions, alliances with worker centers, and unions that are run by their members. Labor Notes is also a network of rank-and-file members, local union leaders, and labor activists who know the labor movement is worth fighting for. They encourage connections between workers in different unions, worker centers, communities, industries, and countries to strengthen the movement from the bottom up. With 40 years of movement building behind them, Labor Notes exists as a resource for leaders and union members who want to chart a new course for the labor movement. At the Valley Labor Report, we are proud subscribers and supporters. We encourage our listeners to be the same. Go to labornotes.org and find out more. So, as I mentioned today, we have a history episode, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, I have special guest Ben Wilkins. He is the editor of Anne Braden Speaks, Selected Writings and Speeches from 1947 to 1999, uh, and it was put out by Monthly Review Press. I'm a big fan of Monthly Review. Uh, so really appreciate their work and really appreciate Ben for coming on the show. So, Ben, thank you so much.
0: Hey, thank you, Adam. Nice to, nice to be on.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, looking forward to the conversation. Uh, I have been learning already a little bit about Anne Braden. And I will admit up front that I did not know a lot. Uh, I'd heard her name, but I really wasn't sure why I should know her. Uh, so this has been really cool for me to, to learn more about her. But before we get into your book and, and more about Brayden's life, I was wondering if you could just introduce yourself and talk a little bit about yourself. Because I know that you are uh, also dedicated to growing the Southern labor movement. Uh, you're a good union brother here in the South. And so tell us a little bit about your background and
0: your journey in the movement yeah yeah absolutely well um uh i uh was born in 1982 um so i'm 40 years old uh and really you know came up in a movement family born and raised in missouri so you know it depends on how you define the south sort of the south sort of not the south the up south i guess you could call it um but you know both my parents particularly my father was very involved with labor and, and civil rights struggles and so from a really early age i you know, got involved in, in whatever was going on. At that time, it was the anti-corporate globalization movement, did a lot of that kind of work in Kansas City, uh, and, um, you know, organized against white nationalists in the Midwest. Uh, and then, you know, really partially because of my understanding of, of, you know, race and class, and also reading a lot of Ann Braden, uh, decided that the best thing I could do was join the labor movement. Um, and so, you know, uh, Initially, as a rank and fileer, worked in UPS and a lot of other uh, warehouses and facilities around Kansas City, but then became a, a staff organizer uh, with the Healthcare Workers Union in Detroit, Michigan. Um, but always really thought that the most important thing I wanted to do, you know, long term, was organize in the South. And so for the last ten years, I've been uh, in North Carolina organizing low wage fast food uh, and service workers first with uh raise up the south which has morphed into uh the union of southern service workers which was founded last year and is mostly um uh operational in north carolina south carolina georgia and uh and alabama but mostly the carolinas is where we've had most of our work historically so um you know really my kind of understanding of am braden has influenced the the work that i do in in really deep ways and I uh, definitely consider myself uh, a champion of, you know, the need for a strong Southern labor movement, not only for workers in the South, but to transform the whole country and the whole world.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's critical to the fate of this country and the fate of this globe that we organize in the South. The The South cannot be we cannot allow the South to remain a fortress for yeah. anti-union bigotry uh, and for a working class that is so exploited and oppressed here. Uh, so I really appreciate your work and appreciate you sharing that with me and uh, got a chance to meet some folks from Raise Up the South and now Union of Southern Service Workers. Uh, I know a few of those brothers and sisters came out to the Troublemaker School in oh, Alabama yeah. uh, last fall. And so, yeah, I'm I'm really, really excited about the work y'all are doing. Uh, I'm probably going to be hitting you up after this call on, on getting some, some more guests from, from USSW cool. and, and hearing more about the work y'all are doing. So, uh, but that does segue into uh, Anne Braden herself, because you mentioned how um, she has really guided your work and, and your analysis. And so before we get into, you know, some of her her activism and, and her organizing, could you just tell us a little bit about Anne Braden, the person? Uh, who was she?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, um, she was really a, an incredible woman and in understanding where she comes from, um, I think, makes her story even more incredible. She was born uh, in Aniston, Alabama, uh, in 1924. A white woman, I think, you know, it's very important to understand that she was, you know, white woman raised in a middle-class family in Aniston in the 30s and 40s. Um, And, you know, Aniston, I'm sure folks who are listening to the show kind of understand, you know, a little bit about it, but it's best known historically as the place where uh a white mob you know burned down a a freedom rider bus in the 1960s and so that's the kind of place that it was and she really was not raised in a progressive family or a pro-labor family to say the least her she's as she said her dad was a committed racist uh you know they were a pretty typical middle class white family in the in the jim crow era in alabama um but you know she um was an open-minded person and a sensitive person uh raised you know during the depression during the 1940s uh and really was um exposed to uh an entirely different world uh as a young woman and and really through the labor movement joined what she called the other america you know not the america of the lynchers not the america of the confederacy or of the the clan but you know the America of the the freedom riders of William Patterson of Paul Robeson of the of the CIO, um, and that's really who she was. She was, um, you know, somebody who was very much of the South of the White South, uh, and who revolted against um, the Jim Crow system and and primarily, and fundamentally at the beginning, really through the labor movement.
1: Yeah, I think that's so fascinating. I'm always interested to hear the stories of folks who kind of cut against the dominant narrative and go against, you know, the way they were raised. And certainly that's something I can relate to, uh, having been born and raised in the South and certainly not in a progressive household uh, by any stretch. Uh, So, you know, I always find that interesting, what moves people, what kind of jolts them out of that dominant narrative that's been so instilled in us. Uh, and you mentioned the labor movement was really key to her journey. And one thing I've really been fascinated with Ann Braden is how she is sort of uh, – uh, she has her, like one foot in the labor movement, one foot in the civil rights movement. it seems like throughout her entire journey uh, and and something that I've heard you speak about elsewhere is, is how, you know, there was a, a real separation between those movements in large part due to the Red Scare. Uh, but Anne represented a, a continuation uh, of those struggles. Uh, could you talk a little bit more about Anne's experience with the labor movement?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So she um, she became a journalist out of college uh, and moved to Louisville, Kentucky. And for her, Louisville was a way to to escape the Deep South. Um, of course, still in the South, but you right. know, for her, going to a place like Louisville was. Um, you know, a place where she could feel a little bit more freedom than being in Birmingham or in Anniston, where she she had been previously.
1: I, I can uh, say I really relate to that as a southerner, because going from Meridian, Mississippi to Huntsville, Alabama, it felt like I was going up north. Uh, and, yeah, and it certainly yeah. seemed like a, you know, a much more progressive area. And so yeah, that that resonates for sure.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of places like that in the south. I mean, I live in Durham. It's a place where a lot of people who you know, uh, come from small t- towns, look to a place like Durham or Chapel Hill or Huntsville or, you know, Columbia, South Carolina, where they can have uh, a little bit more more freedom and where there's a little more uh, open-mindedness, I, I guess right. you could say. Um, right. So, yeah, absolutely. So for her, Louisville was that. She, she got a job um, at the newspaper in Louisville. Uh, and, you know, at that point, she was, you know, becoming a little bit more open-minded she said that she really was exposed to the inhumanities of the jim crow system as a court reporter in in alabama Uh, and so that was kind of her first inkling of you know something is wrong something is not right about this system but then going to louisville she was really lucky um, because she was introduced to this really powerful labor movement in louisville at the time uh you know we're talking about 1947 uh the the red scare had really not uh become the full force that it would become in the years later. And so you had, you know, what was called the Seventh Street Unions, uh, really anchored by the farm equipment workers at the International Harvester Plant in, in, in Louisville. But there was other unions, you know, UE, other industrial unions that were really powerful and, and militant and radical. And she was really incorporated into that universe. Um, you know, she I think most fundamentally was really struck by the multiracial nature of it. You had white workers and black workers marching side by side against, you know, these powerful corporations, against white supremacy. Um, And, you know, it was there that she met her future husband, Carl Braden, who was, you know, um, named after Karl Marx. He was, uh, you know, from a family that, um, you know, had been really big supporters of Eugene Debs, a socialist party family. His dad was, uh, if I'm not if I'm remembering correctly, a, a railway worker and and a trade unionist. And so it was really through, you know, making those connections and becoming a part of that movement that she was exposed to this whole new world. And a lot of times people, you know, they think about the um the civil rights movement and the labor movement as two different things, but at that time in that place, it was one movement. Um, and, you know, for the rest of her life, she really struggled to to work to build that one movement of 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 you know, uniting the the struggle for the working class and the struggle against racism into one fight, which really it is at the end of the day, particularly in the South.
1: Right. Absolutely. So she saw it as one fight and, yeah. you know, anti-racism was something that was a, a central part That's of her true. life and who she was and what she was about. So could you talk a little bit more about the anti-racism and, and how that really uh, was such a big part of
0: Anne Braden? Yeah, well, and I mean, of all the, you know, she's really most known for that aspect of her, and I think for for good reason. She, you know, again, was raised and and matured in the Jim Crow South. And I think, you know, um, fundamentally, the thing that held down the working class in in the South was Jim Crow and, and white supremacy. Uh, and so for her, really, like the fundamental thing that had to be confronted in order to build power for the working class and to build a more democratic society was racism and all of its manifestations. And so, you know, that meant, you know, the the actual economic system of Jim Crow, which was based on, uh, you know, sharecropping and peonage that primarily impacted black workers, but also the the racism of white workers and, you know, really believed that the fundamental thing that could absolutely transform the South and could demolish the power structure was if there was a solid block of poor white people, working class white people, who were marching in unison uh, with with the Black Freedom Movement that was growing. And so, you know, for her, that was really her life's work: was how do you? There's there's this Black Freedom Movement that's powerful. You've got Dr. King, you've got Fred Shuttlesworth, you've got Stokely Carmichael, you've got SNCC all this really powerful work is happening, how can we as white people incorporate, you know, a growing number, not only of white middle-class people, of white students, which was also very important, but really most fundamentally, how do we recruit and and build a movement of, of white workers that's joining alongside that freedom movement? And that's a part of that. And, and for her, that was the most critical work that she could be doing and that she spent her whole life, you know, working to do.
1: Right, right. And, you know, that's something that really resonates with me because I truly believe that interracial people power, you know, a diverse working class movement that's organized is really the only way we move forward in the South uh, and demolish some of these power structures and, and build a, a more livable future for all of us. Uh, and so, yeah, it's just um uh, it's it's inspiring for me to hear that that commitment and and particularly because she is someone who faced repression and backlash. Um, She suffered for her beliefs, right? Like so many activists, visionaries. Uh, Could you talk a little bit about that? And like how, how throughout her life, she really demonstrated
0: tremendous courage? Yeah, yeah, well, I'll talk about the context first. And then then I'll talk about what personally happened to her and, and her husband. You know, late 1940s early 1950s um was the period of McCarthyism when the entire United States power structure went to war with with uh with uh the movement of the left at that point um and anti-communism was really the dominant um ideology of the time and so you know you had uh show trials all across the country you had congressional hearings you had purges of unions you had um thousands and thousands of people in the U.S. who had been activists in this militant movement who were who were hounded and who were repressed uh, in all kinds of different ways sent to prison uh their lives ruined their professions ruined you know the Rosenbergs were executed there was all kinds of this stuff that was happening at the time and so she really got caught up into that uh so 1954 um she and her husband uh, had a friend, Andrew Wade, who had been active in the Progressive Party, which was a pro-labor uh, political party at the time. Um, and he he was a Black man. Him and his wife were trying to get a house. They had a young family and could not find a house that was big enough for their family in the segregated Black neighborhoods of Louisville. So uh, the Bradens agreed to basically buy the house under their name and transfer it over to the Wades uh, to allow them to get into this house, a very simple act of, you know, personal solidarity. Right. Um, and, you know, really for that, they, uh, they were put on trial. It's a long story. I won't tell the whole story, but essentially Carl and Anne were put on trial for sedition for the simple act of buying a house that, um, that a black family could move into in a segregated wow. neighborhood. And uh, that was the first of three times that the Bradens were charged with sedition, which I think has got to be some kind of a record. I, I don't oh know my if anybody
1: Yeah, that's wild.
0: Yeah. So so they were hounded throughout their whole lives. Um, you know, Carl spent a year in prison, uh, and Ann Braden really could not find stable employment. Um and it was then that she basically went full time into movement work uh because she had to, she had no other options. Um she became a journalist Uh, for the Southern Conference Education Fund, which we can talk about. But yeah, I mean, that was, um, you know, obviously an incredibly difficult moment for her. But she also said later that that was the moment when, you know, she actually was forced to make a full and complete break with the Jim Crow Society because she had no other option. Right. Um, She was demonized and there was a certain freedom in being demonized. She has a really, I think, powerful letter to Dr. King in the book uh, in 1960, where she's saying, you know, it's really amazing that you've won this Nobel Prize and that you're this prominent person, but don't be afraid of being demonized. Don't be afraid of being outcast. outcast. Stick true to your principles, um, because that's what Jesus would have done. You know, she was also very good at speaking in these kind of religious terms, because she was a deeply faithful person. So, um, yeah, the, the repression that she and her husband faced was pretty Pretty intense throughout the nineteen fifties and sixties. They had a FBI agent who was assigned full time to watch them, um, and you know the the book goes a little bit more into that. So she was uh, not afraid to to face down the power structure and and really did suffer the consequences throughout her life. Right,
1: right, absolutely. And and one thing you just mentioned that I really uh, have been fascinated with, and I wanted to discuss. You mentioned she was a deeply faithful person, mm-hmm. uh, and Ann Braden was a person who was influenced by Marxism and Christianity, and that's something, you know, as a Southerner, I was raised to believe they're polar opposites, they're at odds. Um, One's bad, one's good. And, you know, it's a very simplistic uh, approach to it. And so uh, that is something I find fascinating as well. uh, sort of this fusion of marxism and christianity you know do you have anything really to to talk about there uh just because i personally find that really interesting
0: yeah yeah well i think it was really fundamental to her whole worldview you know she was raised uh in the episcopalian church in alabama and really never lost that commitment to her faith even though she pretty much rejected everything else about her upbringing um and, you know, in other parts of the world, I think the the fusion of of Christianity or of of morality or faith with Marxism is really not so out of the ordinary. I mean, in, in Latin right. America, it's pretty typical. Uh, and even in the South, it was at, at that time, um, you know, pretty normal. There's a, a scene in, um, you know, Robin Kelly's book, Hammer and Ho, you know, which I'm sure you've read, where one of the you know, the, the militants in the movement had, you know, a book by Lenin and, and, a, and a Bible, like, you know, side by side. that kind of fusing of the two, um, you know, I think has been pretty, pretty typical in, in, in years past, if not, if not these days. Um, but, you know, what she believed was you really couldn't live up to Christian values without having some understanding of class and a class analysis, which was what, for her, Marxism really offered. And, she had a really, I think, penetrating analysis of this in in a lot of different ways. And one of the things she said was that, you know, she's writing in the 1980s, looking back on the 60s and the 70s, and, you know, this time period when you have this really radical upsurge and then a a repressive, you know, backlash uh, that led to Reaganism. And what she said is in the 60s, in the early 60s, that kind of, you know, classic period of the civil rights movement, we were really good at having a moral fire and at, you know, lifting up this vision of a beloved community and people like Dr. King, you know, speaking to our faith values. And then, you know, in the late 60s and the 70s, you know, a lot of people made this turn towards Marxism and really got a good understanding of, you know, um, material analysis and of class analysis and but the thing that never was able to happen in the movement as a whole was for the two to be fused, to have a a moral analysis and a material analysis. And you've gotta be able to do the two things at the same time was what she believed. Um, And so that's, you know, I think a really important insight of hers that especially in the South, those of us who are, you know, building a mass movement, you've gotta be able to analyze society and to speak to the, you know, the moral and faith traditions of, of the South.
1: Absolutely. And I think to speak to, you know, a spiritual yearning that we feel under this system. Uh, right. And I, and I right. think that's really, really important. And, and I really, uh, you know, I've enjoyed learning more about that, about her. Uh, right. And you mentioned in terms of backlash and, you know, a couple of things that come to mind It would be in some ways, the Jim Crow era in the lynching era itself was backlash to expressions of interracial working class political power. Um, you know, right here in Alabama, we have the Constitution of 1901, which was a counter-revolution, essentially mm-hmm. against interracial populists who, by all accounts, won the governor's race uh, in, in, I believe, 1896. And so, you know, that was a form of reaction. And then uh, as you get into the late 70s and 80s, of course, we see this this new wave of reaction to the civil rights era. And um, one thing about Anne Braden that I've learned is that uh, when the Greensboro Massacre took place, she showed up in Greensboro pretty much immediately and was there. Uh, Could you speak a little bit about the Greensboro Massacre and and what Anne Braden's role was uh, in that aftermath?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think Greensboro Massacre is a, a really important historical event that folks, I think, have to understand if you want to understand the past 50 years of our history in the south um Absolutely. so you know in Greensboro just like in a lot of cities all around the country and in the south um you know there was a generation of activists who had um matured through the the civil rights years through the 60s uh and and had really been radicalized and had started adopting a lot of these Marxist ideas that we talked about and so they formed an organization called the workers viewpoint organization it was one of many many organizations that was you know, trying to build working class power uh, in the South. Um, And, you know, we're uh, holding an anti-Klan demonstration, a demonstration against the Ku Klux Klan uh, in 1979. And a a caravan of Klansmen and Nazis basically uh, came to the demonstration and murdered five of the demonstrators uh, in broad daylight on TV. There's news cameras there. You can you can see the footage on on YouTube, um, and that was really a dramatic moment, I think, for the whole country and for the whole movement. You know, people had this understanding that there's a rightward turn going on. There's a reactionary turn happening in this country, um, but I think that really was a, a shock to the system of the mm-hmm. whole conscience of you know the movement at that time. Um, and you know, just like she had been in the 1940s and 50s, you know, these folks. Uh, I think it's not widely remembered now, but a lot of the demonstrators who were murdered and their and their comrades who were still alive were really demonized at the time um, because they were communists, they were leftists, they were radicals, and so there was a lot of people in the in the broader movement who were actually, even though they were shocked that these murders had happened, there was a lot of fear of. Associating with these folks who had been murdered. And Ann Braden did not feel any of that fear. She believed we had to stand in solidarity uh, with the victims of the massacre. And so, you know, as soon as she heard about it, she hopped in her car, drove to Greensboro. You know, she already knew, you know, some of the folks a little bit who had been involved and and offered her assistance. And I think it was really a key um figure in really building a mass movement to to fight back against the Klan and to support those who had been, had been massacred. And so, you know, a lot of the veterans of that struggle who, you know, we in USSW are really close with, you know, uh, Reverend Nelson and Joyce Johnson, Roz Pellis, others who were survivors of the massacre, you know, really remember um, her solidarity in that moment and the way that she showed up. Um, And I I think it's really important to remember that massacre and the, the, what it signaled for the direction of the country. Um, And she played a a really important role in, in building the fight back.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I want to transition there to talking about the book itself, because when we're talking about remembering and and learning from this history, uh, I I believe that's probably, you know, why we have this book. Right. So I wanted to ask you why Anne Braden speaks, why this collection of her writings and speeches uh, and why now? And I think you've already spoken to it a little bit, but, you know, just tell us a little bit about the book itself and and why you felt it was important to get this out there.
0: Yeah, well, I think it's it's pretty simple. I mean, one is she's um, speaking to the contradictions that still exist in the society, the crisis that still exists in society of poverty, racism and militarism Um, and all the problems that she was fighting to to overturn they still exist, maybe even worse so. Uh, and the second thing I would really strongly suggest in terms of why it's important to read this book and and read her writings is that you know, she, I think proposed and represented a tradition of struggle that oftentimes we forget. and you know, on the in the progressive world or the, the left world or whatever you want to call it, oftentimes we silo our struggles. Um, But she really firmly believed that you had to build a united movement um, for democracy, for justice, for equality. And that meant that the labor movement had to be marching side by side with the racial justice movement and the anti-war movement and the environmental justice movement, you know, all the the the, the enemy is the same. You know, Uh, when she's fighting in the 1980s, you know, Ronald Reagan is the enemy of all these movements. and therefore, I think it's incumbent upon all of us to unite together. And you know, the third thing I would say is uh, she also, you know, you talked about labor notes earlier, bringing the movement into the labor movement. She wanted to bring the labor movement into the social justice movement and to really fuse the broader social justice struggles with the labor movement. And, and, and she believed that it was critical for you know the racial justice movement the social justice movement of the country to really incorporate labor struggles into it and for the labor movement to lift up all of the social struggles that are happening at the time and so i think that approach to movement work and to politics uh is critically important for all of us to remember and to adopt today um so i just yeah i think that um the way that she approached movement work is the way that we all need to approach movement work today Uh, and you cannot understand the civil rights movement without understanding her contribution and and also looking at her analysis of it right
1: right and and something that i picked up from from another interview that you had was that you know she believed you couldn't go around race you had to go through race and and tackle issues of race head on when you were organizing in the south and I, i really I think that's very uh, powerful, and I think it's something that, that is just as true today as it ever was. Yeah. Um, what, was there anything else in terms of maybe lessons that we can learn from Anne Braden and her work, uh, whether that's represented in the book or, or elsewhere? Just anything we, you think that contemporary Southern activists, particularly in the labor movement— you know, what is it we should be looking towards with Anne Braden's work and writings uh, to kind of learn from and implement? And and you spoke about this a little bit already, but uh, anything else that really comes to mind in terms of how her approach and her analysis can be helpful?
0: Well, I think one big thing is that she had an analysis and she was a thinker.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. And- I mean, and that's that is yeah. something we have yeah. to acknowledge is not yeah. happening a lot in, in yeah. our movement.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she had a um, deeply well thought out analysis. Anybody, you know, folks who, who knew Ann Braden, who spent time with her and with Carl, first thing they always talk about is you go into the living room and there's a million books and all, you know, they, they were constantly reading, they were constantly analyzing, you know, thinking about not just what's going on in Alabama or in Kentucky, but what's going on in El Salvador, what's going on in uh in eastern europe what's going on in vietnam and 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 what's the history that that brought us to where we are you know one of my favorite essays in the book is called um 500 years of uh racism in us foreign policy and it's basically just about it's it's written in 1992 the 500th anniversary of columbia you know uh coming to the to the the so-called new world and you know she just analyzes the history that got us here over the past 500 years so i think that kind of depth of understanding is is needed and you know oftentimes in the movement i think we separate the work of organizing and the work of thinking and oftentimes you know i find this with a lot of people who are in more organizing spaces there's kind of um a condescension towards so-called intellectuals and then with folks who are more university oriented or are doing the intellectual work there's a condescension to people that are in the day-to-day struggles. And I think we have to fuse the two, just like she fused, you know, morality and, and, and material analysis, you've got to be able to fuse thinking and fighting. And she really modeled that. And I think it's very important for all of us to do, to have a a big picture analysis as we're doing our day-to-day work.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Was there anything else you really wanted to highlight about the book itself? Um, You know, Like, is there something in there that's just flat out your favorite uh, or anything that you really just kind of want to point to in terms of the book itself?
0: Yeah, well, I wouldn't say there's anything that's my favorite, but what I would say is that there's a very, the the biggest essay in the book is um, called The Southern Freedom Movement in Perspective. It was written in 1965 for Monthly Review magazine. It's a long essay. It's the longest, longest thing in the book. But I think it's really an incredible analysis in the moment of what was going on. Uh, And so I think for two reasons, it's important. One is that if you want to understand the 1960s, if you want to understand the civil rights movement, read that essay. It's the best summary I've seen. Uh, And then second, it's a model for, you know, what I think we have to do, which is to be able to be in the struggle and to step back and Mm. and view it from a long view and, and a 30,000 foot view. And so she's really doing that in the essay. Uh, and it's really powerful. And I think just, um, I, to this day, can't think of another piece of writing that better encapsulates you know what was happening in the South uh, throughout the 1950s and 1960s that really produced the civil rights movement and the victories of it, and that really characterized the the struggle. So I, I really highly recommend that essay. You know, If you don't read anything else, read that essay. It's really incredible. Awesome. Awesome.
1: Well, Ben Wilkins, I really, really appreciate your time. I appreciate the work you've been doing, uh, both in organizing here in the South and also with getting this book out. and Braden Speaks, Selected Writings and Speeches, 1947 to 1999. And again, that's from Monthly Review Press. Shout out to Monthly Review.
0: I'm a big fan. And uh,
1: Ben, was there anything else you wanted to say before we let you go?
0: No, really appreciate being on and um, um, love your program and, and solidarity to everybody that's building uh, labor power in, in Alabama.
1: Hell yeah. Absolutely. Thanks, Ben. We really appreciate it. Thanks. Bye. All right, folks. So you heard that. Ben Wilkins, Ann Braden Speaks. Really, really enjoyed that interview. Uh, I have enjoyed learning more about Ann Braden. Uh, Someone in the chat mentioned how they had not heard of Ann Braden and it's somebody that we really ought to be studying and learning about. Uh, And there are a lot of figures like that lost to history that are that are not just fascinating, but people that we can really learn lessons from and that are relevant to today's struggles. And so, uh, yeah, I really appreciate those of you who've been uh, commenting today. Uh, I know there's been some good comment section uh, today. uh, Lenny mentioned that, in his opinion, we need to fuse emotion with effective action. And it sounds like, to me, that was something that Ann Braden was really, you know, uh, emphatic about, that we speak to people's morality, we speak to people's material conditions, uh, and, and the two are, are certainly connected. Uh, so, really, I've enjoyed learning more about Ann Braden. I uh, look forward to picking up the book, uh, and it was great to chat with Ben Wilkins and uh, appreciate the work he's doing. Uh, both on the intellectual side and on the organizing side. Uh, And as he said, the two have to work in tandem. So as I wrap things up this morning, I did want to mention uh, some excellent upcoming training opportunities from Labor Notes. They do have their uh, workshop, What to Do When Your Union Breaks Your Heart. Uh, Their June edition has been scheduled. It's June 6th. Uh, That's a Tuesday. It'll run from 630 to 8 p.m. And it is on Zoom. It is free. Uh, So if you're a union member and you've ever had your heart broken uh, by one of your own leaders, if you've ever gotten involved and had nowhere to go or you feel like you've had some issues inside your union, this is a workshop that will Uh, help you figure out how to kind of recommit to the union and change the culture uh, into one where leaders respect and serve the members. Uh, So definitely check that out. Uh, They, of course, have a stewards workshop every month. Uh, They actually just had theirs uh, this week uh, with Bob Schwartz. He is a fantastic labor attorney. Uh, He literally wrote the book on Just Cause, And uh, that was the subject of May Stewards Workshop, so I'll keep you posted uh, on June. And final plugs would be to check out tvlr.fm. As I mentioned, we've got some new work uh, published. Um, We just published an article uh, detailing education legislation in Alabama. So if you're interested in what's happening with Alabama's public schools in the legislative session, check that out for sure and uh, we'll have more good stuff on the way we've got some good interviews planned for saturday uh really looking forward to that we've got a full show on saturday uh, with some memorial day tie-ins some labor news in up in alabama and across the south uh, so y'all check it out and that is it for the 12th episode of shop talk hope it was worth your time and i really appreciate everyone listening And again, if you enjoyed it, please share with your network and make sure that you're plugged into our work. You can sign up for our email list. Uh, You can, of course, follow us on YouTube, uh, Facebook, Twitter, at The Valley Labor Report. And again, Saturday morning, we've got a great show planned, 930 a.m. Central Time, live on WVNN, YouTube and Facebook. And finally, if you share our mission to grow the Southern labor movement, If you share our belief in the power of solidarity and collective organization, and if you want media that is for working people, by working people, please consider becoming a recurring donor at tvlr.fm slash donate. All power to the workers. Solidarity, y'all.